And we are back, and I appreciate you hanging in with me here. We are having some fun today with uh, all of our technical expertise. Um, I'm not sure how all this is working, but oh, okay, good. I'll close that. Bear with me, folks. We're going to get to our John Mangum interview next, and then... In about 20 minutes, Ian Robbins and I are going to go into this landlord relief thing. So do not give up. I'm trying to close this. There we go. And now I'm going to move this over to here. Yes, that's great. And it's working. Yay. All right, victory. Now, our, our next guest is, um, well, I'll let, I'll, I'll explain to you who he is. But again, I want you to understand that if you own a bunch of property free and clear, and that is your goal, then that's fine. I personally am comfortable with a higher level of debt with than that. And when I can borrow it at, um, what did Peter say? 2.875% under 3% on a 30 year fixed rate refinance. That is outrageous. That is off the hook. And I'm just here to tell you that if you borrow, and by the way, it's 100% tax free. Remember that. Who's going to pay this back? Not you. The tenant is going to pay it back. So I'm just saying there are options out there. So let's talk to our friend, John Mangum. Remember, we've been talking about Caladraxco and we're now at the R for refinance. You can say this was the refinance uh, week on the real estate coffee break. So here it comes. I'm gonna share screen with you and then we're going to let her rip. And hey, that worked. This, this technology business is great. Uh, Margie, why are you laughing at me? There's cackling going on in the background. I don't appreciate that. This, hey, I am a highly trained broadcast professional. Don't try this at home, okay? So um, here is our interview. Look how sleepy I look there. I have my eyes closed. Um, let's, let's listen to the wisdom of John Mangum and you'll find out why in just a second. Great advice. And we are back once again with our very special guest, John Mangum, CPA, realtor extraordinaire, investor of the world and, and, uh, syndicator and prognosticator. John, what don't you do? Uh, John, that's an interesting question. Between keeping the plates spinning and the balls in the air, one of my friends taught me a new little element when we talk about keeping all the balls in the air. Yeah. He said, and he was in the military, he said he worked for a general. And the general said, this gentleman's ability to keep all the balls in the air and at the correct height was impressive. Right. So it's not just random. It's you got to know what you're doing. Well, John, I'm, in, I'm, as, I'm as, reminded of uh, 
the scene in the all-time great movie Patton where the aide uh, goes up to Patton and says, General, sometimes the men don't know when you're kidding and when you're not. And he says to the aide privately, it's not important for them to know. It's only important for me to know. <laughs> so you're not kidding about Caladraxco, are you? So Caladraxco is real. It'll continue to be real and it'll continue to be complete until we start to see some new things coming down the pike, which probably we won't even get an inkling until the middle of 2021 of what people are kicking around in terms of tax law changes. And knowing where we're coming from, where we have come from, is valuable no matter how we go forward. Even if all of the elements of Caladraxco aren't there in the future, if something goes away, still it's this great platform, it's this great base, and a lot of people, longtime experienced real estate investors, have benefited from all the aspects. So when you've got 10 tentacles and you take one away, you've still got plenty of reasons to be involved in real estate. And to kind of catch us up, cash flow, C, A is appreciation, leverage, depreciation. We're getting ready to go to R, refinance, I believe. I think you're right. So and and those this whole thing sort of reminds me of, of a lizard. If you pop off the tail, it'll grow a new one. <laughs> well, and, and I have said uh, repeatedly, we small guys, we who work in residential single family houses, right? For years, the world has looked askance at what we do, but our margins are pretty darn good. And here's, here's a newsflash today. In the press, JLL, Jones Lang LaSalle, introduces a single family uh, consultation advisory division. JLL, the big commercial brokers, right. national, international. Now there, this, there are several people named in the article heading up the single family advisory group. I don't we get have it. legitimacy. Oh, okay. And well, that's us. That's us. And John, only 3% of the single family rental housing stock is owned at an institutional level. And you contrast that to office buildings and hotels and big stuff. Sure. sure. There is room for the regular guys, the small guys to be invested in single family real estate. This One is here. something. Yeah. Yep. This, this is something I heard repeatedly. Um, and you and I have talked about this new tax relief bill that um, uh, President Trump signed that has $25 billion in it for uh, landlord and tenant relief. And uh, their point, his point, and the Congress's point was um, mom and pop landlords make up a huge percentage of owners or managers of our nation's rental housing stock and they need help and looks I, like we may get some so i hope we do anyway we, we took a big hit last year um tenants got to stop paying rent 
but not a single bank called me and said, hey, just don't pay the mortgage for a few months. We had to keep paying. So, John, um, I proposed a moratorium, a federally CDC required moratorium on property taxes and insurance payments. <laughs> that that was not well received in in the county assessor offices. <laughs> the proverbial lead balloon. Yeah. Oh yep. dear. Well, anyway, uh, you're right. There there are a lot of um, benefits of owning real estate, and and Cal Draxco is one of the ways of looking at it. Today we're talking about refinancing, and I don't get it. If I've just bought a house. How can I refinance it? I mean, when, when does refinancing come into play? So John, there are probably several times when refinancing makes sense. Um, if you got a house below market, if you got a really good deal and whether you put all cash in or you got some kind of a mortgage or you got a mortgage, you got a, an owner finance transaction. If you go clean up that house, make some improvements of the ilk that we've discussed in previous seminars, previous sessions, and you add value to the house. Most banks don't want you to refinance within 12 months. They won't give you credit for that value. But if you can hang tight and get to the 13th month, you refinance, you get a new appraisal, the house that you bought for 100 and you put 10 or 15 in might be worth 150. And when you refinance at that 150 level, you're going to get back some of the cash that you put in for making the improvements. Um, another time to refinance is when there's a disparity in the interest rate structure, which I'm going to wave the flag and ring the bell. That's right now. We have seen rates and, and what we see in the popular press are rates for primary residents. You can buy a home and, and pay a mortgage, uh, pay an interest rate down in the mid twos, maybe even the, the lower twos. Yeah. The way that translates into rental property today, and, and we talked about the institutional investors who are legitimizing the residential detached single family rental product, the way it translates is more lenders have become comfortable with lending on rental houses, not at 90% loan to value, but certainly at 75, certainly at 70, maybe 80 if you've got some track record, yeah. or if you have a portfolio. I've seen plenty of cases where people will say, John, you go buy some houses, and after you fix up a couple and get them rented and increase the value, you bring us your little portfolio of three, four, five houses, and we'll give you a blanket loan. And today's interest rates, John, start with a four, 4.5, wow. 4.75. So if you owned rental property a few years ago, when you thought you had a great rate at six and a half percent, and today you can go get four and a half percent, it can make sense, especially if you intend to continue receiving the cash flow on that rental property. You lower your monthly payment, you increase your cash flow. Hopefully, and this goes back to cash flow, hopefully sure. you're pushing your rent rates every year. We continue to see rents rise. So the bigger the gap you can create between what your mortgage payment is and your rents continue to tick up, now you're starting to reach that point where you can think about retiring. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that 13th month, which is sort of a, a reset, or uh, I think they call that seasoning. Thank um, you. 
And that fits in perfectly with something you and I've talked about many times, which is buying one house a year, getting that house. We talked about appreciation. We talked about natural appreciation, and we talked about forced appreciation. And I don't know if you saw, but the numbers came out, I think 48 hours ago that said um, for calendar year 2020, residential single family home prices were up 7.8%. I've heard numbers, John, ranging in the five to nine range. And the some of the experts out there are suggesting that they're going to go up another five to 7% in 2021. Well, the predictions for 2020 were all around one and a half and two and maybe as high as two and a half. And look what happened. So um, very interesting and, and uh, something we'll keep an eye on. Let me ask you this. How does the, if, if you have a rental property, and let's say you've had it for many years, you say put a 15-year mortgage on it when you bought it and you've paid that off to zero, and now you go refinance at 70% and you pull out this big chunk of cash. Does it matter what you do? I'm talking about now the um, uh, deductibility of the interest on the payments on that new refinanced mortgage. Does it matter if you put that back into the house in terms of improvements or repairs or, or what if you want to use that money for other investing purposes? So John, if, if you can trace that money to another investment, you can deduct that interest. But the reality is when you borrow money on a property and it's secured by the property, the general rule is you can deduct the interest associated with it. So Uncle Sam and the Georgia Department of Revenue are helping you make that payment. We know the tenant helps us, that's part of cash flow, but also the government is making us, helping us with those payments because we can deduct. And so if you had that house for 15 years and you realized that you were in a position where you could pull the cash out and I'll give you the Stephen Covey maxim. Start with the end in mind. Right. If you take that cash out, make sure you know what you're going to do with it because it costs you money. The financing fees are money and the monthly payments are money. That's right. And so be sure you know what you're going to do with that cash. Make sure that cash can go to work for you. But can you deduct the interest? Of course you can. Can you write that off and, and get a government? It's not a subsidy, that's the wrong word, but can you get some support? Absolutely. So benefits of, of refinancing, deductibility. Today, and, and I have combed through my portfolio, part of my annual review, and I've got some, some interest rates down at 6.1% that I thought, boy, these rates are great. And now I'm having to evaluate whether, you know, what's my horizon? How long will I hold? Should I refinance? Because there's a cost. Yep. But if I'm going to hold that for more than about three or four years, and then how long will those rates hold? Some banks will give you that rate for three to five years, but not for 15. Right. And so you, you've, you've got to look at all the factors. 
Well, but, let me ask you one final question. I've got to let you go. Um, I talked earlier uh, this, actually it was last week with uh, our friend Peter Burke at Reliant Mortgage Solutions, um, one of our sponsors here on the coffee break. And he said that he has been stunned by the number of real estate investors that own that now own their portfolio free and clear of any debt. And, and I said, why don't these people refinance and pull money out at historically low interest rates because over a 15 or a 20 year period, and we know we can use Fannie and Freddie type loans to get up to 10 loans, not to mention your next personal residence. Why would these people want to adopt what I call the Dave Ramsey kindergarten school of finance, <laughs> where all debt is bad, don't even have a credit card? Um, what is your take on why so many people are apparently carrying around a lot of equity in their properties? Well, you know, John, whether you put your money in the proverbial piggy bank, the mattress or the bank, where the bank you're going to make about a half a percent, sure. whatever the number is. Yep. Um, the long-term perspective, and I, I appreciate personal goals and, and you've got to be true to your own goals. But if you're going to retire one day and you're going to live on the cash flow, if you've only got five rental houses at a thousand or twelve hundred a month, and you need five thousand a month to live on, you can't be making mortgage payments. That's true. And That's and true. if you want to travel and and you know get out of the rat race and whatnot. Now, if you've got fifteen rental houses and you need five thousand a month, then the positive cash flow can help you. Um, and I think there's a balance. I, I don't think that being totally debt-free is entirely the right answer. And if you look at the increase in the residential housing market this past year, seven plus percent, and potentially that again next year. In that environment, I want as much in my basket, I wanna be holding as much real estate, because if I had a million dollars in houses, and eight hundred thousand dollars in mortgages. Yep. And that went up seven percent. Then I got seventy thousand dollars of value, and my mortgage stayed right where it was. That's a pretty and good return on investment. That's a pretty darn good return on cash, my two hundred. Right. I got seventy. On my, yeah. That's yep, very good. Yep. And so, but, I don't but know John, anybody else getting thirty-five percent out there. So. And and you know we you, you and I both do this. I know, but but let let's. Let's dish up the big one, the, the big nugget that we always save for last. And, and I'm going to turn it around. When you refinance and you've got to see, you live with a CPA, I understand. I sleep with my CPA. When, when you go refinance and you pull out $100,000 cash, how much do you set aside to pay taxes with? Zero. And tell me why. Because it's not an event of sale that taxes only occur when you sell the property. And there are two ways to avoid that. One is the John Adams method, never sell. And the other is the John Mangum method, 
exchange and 31 exchange so i and of course i i know the answer and and i i like this one a lot but if you're in a growth mode you may not refinance your first house when you're still on your first one but when you're in two or three and you're in a growth mode and you're really building a portfolio you're going to go to 10 houses except there's not really any limit couldn't you go to 20 sure. couldn't you go to 30 and when things are when when things are going well you pull the cash out so that you can go use that cash as a tool to yep. expand your portfolio yep and and when you take that cash out there's no tax due there's still gain sitting inside your property to be clear if you were to sell it you might sell it pay off the mortgage and then have to pay the taxes and have no money from the sale that's right so, so when you take the cash out on the refinance you're getting a payday it's in your hand and you want to treat that money carefully you don't want to just go take the trip around the world now can you spend a little bit of it can you go buy a car can you do something oh, nice sure. of course but you want to be reasonable one of the biggest benefits of refinance and one of the reasons we've got it smack in the middle of Caladraxco is because when you take the money out, it's all yours and it's not taxable. Well, I will never forget in your last presentation on depreciation and other tax benefits, as an example, you used the car driving off the lot of the new, new car and the owner throwing thousand dollar bills out as he drives off the lot because that property i mean that property that vehicle has lost a lot of value just because you drove it off the lot yep. and uh very interesting how all of these these benefits and features come together uh to make an interesting um platform for investing and i just on behalf of the um members here at the real estate coffee break want to thank you we've got uh one more week that we're going to be going to and that's an exciting one i can't wait to hear but i know there have been some changes but um john mangum we appreciate as always your weighing in if somebody uh, your day job is working with starker services as a qualified intermediary for 1031s that's a mouthful <laughs> um, if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, I know you used to have a, a brochure in a black cover that was a real helpful um, sort of a summary of, of what a 1031 exchange was. And I'm hoping you still, there it is, there it is. If somebody wanted to get a copy of that either online or or actually directly from you how could they get in touch with you john i appreciate your asking and and of course it's a prelude to our segment that we'll do on 1031 exchanges but um i'm gonna i'm gonna give the the big number the 800 number 800-332-1031 hey i know that number or of course send me an email um whether you reach me or any of my team at starker send me an email at j mangum m-a-n-g-h-a-m j mangum at starker.com and just say please send the brochure and we'll email you a pdf copy or we'll put a hard copy in the mail whatever you'd like that's uh, super your and john we appreciate that uh you have 
truly done a yeoman's job of educating um, real estate investors and real estate professionals all over the Southeast. And um, uh, you are building up for yourself treasures in heaven. How about that? John, and I you, appreciate it. And you can't exchange out of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always an honor to be on the show with you. I appreciate being here and I look forward to the next one. Uh, whenever the time is right, I'll be available. I'm excited about it. John Mangum, thank you, sir. As always, we appreciate it. Thank Over. you, Dr. Adams. Okay, uh, what a very interesting presentation. Um, John Mangum talking about strategies for refinancing. Now, I just got a chat from, and I hope uh, Ian Robbins is going to join me here. I just got a chat from uh, one of our um, viewers here. Hello, Ian. How are you, my friend? Great, John. Can you see me okay? You look marvelous. May I say that about you? I appreciate that. You look mighty fine and dandy well, today, too, You know, sir. I've always said it's better to look good than it is to feel good. And we do, don't we? We, we do both, we hope. <laughs> okay. The answer, what I wanted to share with everybody is, and Ian, I think I mentioned this to you, that um, um, we are going to begin podcasting the Real Estate Coffee Break, both hours. Um, it is currently available on um, Apple iTunes Podcast. Now, this is confusing to me because I'm not an Apple person, but Ian, you are an iPod, an Apple iPod person. I am, and I don't do very much on podcasts, but I have started doing that. And again, I have my kids that can help me uh, get all hooked up. <laughs> That's good. Will, will, your, will uh, Seth become uh, the Coffee Break Senior Technical Advisor on the podcast? Yes, he will. And, okay. you know, this is a great way. Sorry. This is a great way to get my child to get some financial education. So I, I appreciate it as a way of uh, working that, that angle. Thank well, you. by the way, uh, I had the good fortune to meet uh, Ian's son, Seth, who is uh, a very bright and a, a very uh, sharp young man who takes after his dad. He looks like his mom, but he takes after his dad. And, He's got more uh, hair. Yeah. There you go. I have every reason to believe he will be super successful just like you have been. So, uh, But the two that we're on right now, and, and Margie's just getting this all set up, but we're on Apple Podcast, which used to be iTunes podcast but that is the number one podcast directory in the world according to something i saw and the second number two is google podcast we have not yet been successful in being listed on google podcast now you can go to apple podcast right now and search for the real estate coffee break and you will see past episodes um, and you can, I think you can subscribe there and it will automatically send them to you every week as they're posted, but we're still learning about this thing. The, the second one we're working on right now is Google podcast. 
Um, and then the third one is Stitcher. And I'm not familiar with Stitcher, but apparently it is a very popular podcast directory, sort of like Apple Podcasts. All right, Margie says Stitcher and Apple are ready. And we don't have all the old uh, programs up yet, uh, but we will. We do not have all the old programs yeah, up we yet, we but we will. <laughs> so but they can go to realestatecoffeebreak.com slash podcasts. Okay, if you go to realestatecoffeebreak.com forward slash podcasts with an S on the end. P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S, there will be something there. I don't know what's there. Marge just told me to tell everybody to go there. So, um, so much for that. Um, Ian, you and I have, wait, 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 stop. You and I, we have a lot to talk about. I'm, uh, I can't get past this. We don't need an intermission. Good grief. All right, here we are. And I'm going to, Ian, uh, we need to jump right in. We've got 25 minutes to cover about three hours worth of material. Do you think we can do that? I think we'll just keep it very simple and absolutely give good value for today. Yes. All right. Very good. Well, let's start. Um, my longtime friend and mutual friend uh, of uh, Dykes Bodiford and a lot of other people is George Kelichek. George is a great guy who it has, um, um, at one time, I think he worked like for Toyota or something like that. Anyway, he has been self-employed and invests in real estate. He is a shaker and a mover. And he keeps me supplied with information, Ian. Um, he has been kind enough to send some information this week about landlord relief, which Ian and I are going to cover right now. Then we will jump into the big three. So let's just go right ahead and do that. Um, and I'm just, this is from an article that um, George Kelichek sent to me yesterday. And it's from CNBC. Um, which I hope is an authoritative source. Obviously, we will see very quickly. This is going to come together very quickly. But let's read through this. The first point here is that in the stimulus package signed into law last month, I think it was December 27th, the national, the CDC um, ban on certain evictions was extended through January and a $25 billion pot of money. By the way, for you and me, for those of you from Smyrna, $25 billion is the same as $25,000 million. Wow, that's a remarkable amount of money. <laughs> I can get by on, on uh, a very small portion of that, which I hope to get. So, Ian, $25 billion, and this was established for renters struggling amid the health and economic crisis. I would, I would beg to differ. I don't think the renters have been struggling. I think the landlords have been struggling. If the tenants didn't want to pay, 
Ian, all they had to do was fill out a declaration saying, I can't pay. But you know what, John? By having knowing about that declaration and now knowing about this $25 billion pot of money, I think they can first apply for that before they try to not pay us landlords. Well, let me tell you what we're going to do. Let's, let's read through this, but I think you will agree with me that this is going to be good for landlords. Um, that money will help to keep many of the 14 million Americans who are behind on their rent. And Ian, you and I just heard John Mangum say they took a pretty hit, pretty good hit last year. Uh, we have been very fortunate. I have not, I don't think I have lost a single penny uh, due to COVID. We have had to do some accommodations. We have had people split their rent, you know, but, and I'm happy to do that, but I just want the, I mean, I got to have the rent. So, and you, you and I have talked about that, Ian, um, 14 million Americans who are behind on their rent in their homes during the coldest months of the year. Oh, it's just awful. Um, and while a pandemic rages still housing advocates say that more money is needed by one estimate after 10 months of record job losses and business shutdowns, rental arrears in the U. I don't believe it's 70 billion. That's a lot of money. So who knows? Maybe it is. So we're talking about 25 billion dollars, and you need to remember that's what's in this pot. And we are now getting a, a comment from a visiting law professor. Ready? While this is a critical start, these provisions will not end the eviction crisis and will not help all renters. So, and this is some uh, Emily lady who is a visiting law professor. Um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know anything about her. Now that Democrats are in control of Congress, additional relief measures for renters stand a better chance of materializing. These people don't realize that when they say additional help for renters, what they really mean is additional help for landlords. Democrats in May called for 100 billion, holy mackerel, uh, dollars in housing assistance and a 12-month eviction moratorium. No, we'd have to have 12 times 25 for that. That would have to be 300 billion. You know, Ian, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you're talking about real money. Absolutely. That's a <laughs> remarkable amount of money. It's it is. So for now, what you and I need to know and what everybody uh, at home needs to know is that uh, the current pot is $25 billion. So how do we get it? Watch this. There's two issues. One is eligibility, and the second is the procedure for applying. So, and this information, Ian, you and I are going to this afternoon send out an email to everybody giving them this information. So, so don't anybody send me a note saying, how do I apply? Because I've gotten 50 how do I applies in the last week. And this will tell you to qualify at least now, they, remember, they're talking to renters here. They're not talking to landlords, but we're sort of listening in, okay? 
To qualify for assistance, at least one member of the rental household has to be eligible for unemployment benefits or a test in writing that they've lost income or incurred significant expenses due to the pandemic. I think that pretty much covers almost everyone in America. Sounds like it. Yes, indeed. Ian, who would not be able to honestly say, I have incurred significant expense due to the pandemic. I mean, Margie and I have spent a fortune on hand sanitizer. (laughs) It used to not be available. Now it's everywhere. Thank goodness. I know. I know. But I, I paid a full dollar at the dollar store and got one of those little ones that I carried around. I don't use it. You know, um, I have decided Ian, to market my own brand, I found out that the hand sanitizer is about 90% alcohol. Okay. (laughs) And I have added a lime flavor to (laughs) a hand sanitizer, and I use it to sort of spike up my gin and tonic in the afternoon. Just telling you. Hey, you know what? We're all all adapting. That sounds wonderful. That's right. We're all adapting. Thank you. You will also need to demonstrate a risk of homelessness, which may include a past due rent or utility notice. So what this is beginning, Ian, to sound to me a lot like the original declaration. It does look like that, but I see a problem there because it's saying that my past due rent notice is actually an invitation for them to get the money. And so it's a catch-22. Well, watch what happens because we're getting there. Um, In addition, your income level for 2020 can't exceed 80% of your area's median income. Those states have been directed to prioritize applicants who fall at 50% or lower, as well as those who've been out of work for 90 days or more. So there are some targets here, but it sort of sounds to me like they're going to be a little bit loosey-goosey. Now, here's the most important part, and everybody, buckle your seatbelts. Am I eligible? Uh, Blah, blah, blah. We just talked about that. Oh, are the funds available now? And the answer is no. The Treasury has not dispersed the funds yet. By the way, I got my uh, $1,200 yesterday. Wow, that's great. I, I immediately ran out and uh, what a had a really nice dinner. Good. <laughs> $1,200, you can eat well. So it's gone now, but it sure did taste good. States will have the funds by January 20th. Okay. So we now know that, one, we're not missing out yet because it, the, the fund's not even here yet and probably won't be until very shortly before january 20th but the procedure the procedure is going to be put in place probably in the next seven days so we're finally at the most important part how do i apply now remember they're talking to renters but i think we as landlords should proactively go to our tenants and help them. And here's where the the rubber meets the road. 
How do I apply? Where or how to apply will vary by city. In other words, how could we make this process more confusing? And I don't see how they could. You know, if they, I mean, like there are 159 counties in Georgia. It would be one thing to say, oh, well, we're going to um, say that every county health department will coordinate. So everybody would know just to call the Cobb County Health Department or the, the uh, Gwinnett County Health. No, no, no. We're going to make Lawrenceville do one thing. We're going to make Decatur do something else. And we're going to have, Vine, is Vinings a city or is it just an area? It's an area. Uh, well, then it wouldn't count. But many areas have existing rental assistance funds. And it will be through one of these that the tenant will apply for the new aid. In other cases, new programs will be created to disperse the money. So, Ian, it is incumbent on you and me as the representative of the hundreds and hundreds of people who are listening and watching right now to get this information and get it out to them as quickly as possible. Do you accept the challenge? Uh, Ian, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. I accept the challenge, John, and I'm happy to serve. All right. Very good. So look, look at this. Renters should contact local housing groups. I got news. I'm not going to wait on my renters to do this. I'm going to contact the local housing groups. You guys, those of you that are just mind numbed robots, you don't need to think for yourself because that's what Ian and I do for you. Okay. And um, we will, we will control the vertical. We will control the horizontal. Please do not adjust your television set. Okay. Um, um, or you can call the local 211311. I thought that was called before you dig. I don't know what that is. But anyway, identify program. 811. Oh, is that 811? I think so. Yes. All right. I was watching one of these police shows the other day and somebody got shot and another person yelled, does anybody know the number for 911? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Life so, is not logical. <laughs> look at the next line, Ian. Your landlord can also apply for you, but must get your signature and provide you with a copy of the application. Ian, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to proactively go to each of my tenants and tell them that the new procedure is that we real estate services will apply for them because we have the proper paperwork. We know the procedure, we know the agency, and we want to make sure they get a credit for every penny that is uh, designated for their account. Okay, but I see a problem with that, John. Tell me because, about it. Well, I understand twenty-five billion is a lot of money, and I totally get that. Now you got fifty states, so now it's a lot lower number. Yeah, it's only five hundred million dollars, but it's less 
than the 25 billion. So then we have um, a big line, a huge line. And I wouldn't want to say to my customers that I'm going to help them get the money because it's a government run program. What I would say is here's some paperwork, sign it and I'll turn it in and we'll all wait together. But in the meantime, I'm going to still go forward with my process because I can't be waiting for anyone because I have to do and treat everybody the same. I have to do what I'm going to do, but I will indeed help you with this application, but I don't know when the money's going to come. As always, Ian, you are a voice of caution and wisdom, um, speaking into the darkness, bringing light where there is no light. You're, you're but like I got to a... go because I'm going on the front of the line because if there's $500 million in Georgia, I want to get my share. <laughs> now, I'm just going to tell my tenants that the we, we are the procedure is that they sign a piece of paper that says we're authorized to do this on their behalf. And what that means is the check is going to come to me. The check is not going to go to them. I don't know I'm if that's going to gonna be sure. the case. Huh? We, we don't know that either because. Um, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm going to rig the system so the check comes to me so I can go to Jimmy the renter and say, Jimmy, you've been awarded 12 months. You're six months behind. And if you'll just sign the back of this check, we will co-endorse it. And you'll be caught up for the last six and prepaid for the next six. I I hope that's possible. But again, as you said, every city is going to be different. So who knows? Well, what we're, we're going to find out. And that's what our job is here on the landlord, uh, the younger landlords section. You know, the, the State Bar Association had a younger lawyers section where where there was lots of partying going on. So uh, I hereby declare that you and I are going to start a uh, younger landlords section. And Sounds I, great. Think, I think that means you and me, I'm not sure, but I don't know. In any case, um, we are seeing new information come out on a daily basis. I expect over the next seven days to get more information. We have several hundred people watching and listening right now, Ian, and I'm going to ask them to watch and report to you or me uh, what they find so that we can aggregate that information. That's a word I learned at Emory College, aggregate. That means bring together. Um, I, I think there are a lot of people in Smyrna who do not understand that word I, I shouldn't use words that they can't understand in Smyrna but this so, is a very highly educated audience there John and we've got the top tier if I think you're right I, I think you are right right so um, I think this is very very important that people understand that in the next few months especially for your tenants that are already behind, this is a chance for you to recover the money that belongs to you, not to the tenant. It's your money. And you need to be proactive on this. Um, 
there used to be a show in Atlanta. Those of you that um, grew up here, which I did, Ian, where did you grow up? Well, I've been in Atlanta now for 40 years, so I'm looking Oh, you're a newcomer, to- a relative <laughs> newcomer. Hey, okay. I remember the, pink, remember the pink pig? I do. I do. Well, I, always had, I always had dreams of barbecuing the pink pig from Rich's. <laughs> okay. I, well, remember when Lennox Mall was a open air uh, mall? I do not. We couldn't afford to go to uh, Lennox. We did all our shopping at the Salvation Army thrift store, which moved around a lot. Okay. So what can I say? Well, anyway, this is your money, boys and girls. And Ian and I are going to try to help you get some of your money, hopefully all of it and more, by taking command of this process and procedure. Special thanks again to George Kelichek. George, you uh, are hereby awarded the position of Senior Fellow and Distinguished Research Professor at the Atlanta-based Nonprofit Institute for Real Estate Policy. Which Congratulations, George. Oh, George, a great guy. Margie says we have a question here, so let's let's take that. Um, Gary, hi, Gary. Thanks for waiting and welcome to the program. Gary says, I recently had a tenant that left with rent and damages owed. I want to take them to small claims court. They moved to a different county in Georgia from where they rented. Which county courthouse do I need to file in? You file where the property is located. However, they will be served in the county where they have a residence. I think that is correct. Ian, I am not an attorney. And I don't, right. I don't think you are, but I believe that you file the dispossessory in the... I know they've already moved out, but you, um, you can't take possession if the if, if there says here rent and damages owed, I suppose you would need to talk to an attorney for that. What you're asking is what's the proper venue, and I don't know the answer. My thought would be there's nothing to stop you from filing a dispossessory um, and then um, – paying a process server uh, for about a hundred bucks. You can, if you'll tell a process server where somebody is, they'll go find them and they will actually get a signature. And the beauty of that is then if the tenant, former tenant doesn't answer the summons, you'll get a summary judgment um, and you'll uh, also get a writ of possession, which at this point you probably don't need or want, but it's beside the point. Once well, John, the judge, John, huh? I think there's two points here that I'd like to ask you about. Please. So the two points are possession and money. I would, yes. So I would say the top priority for our caller, our questioner, is possession. Do you agree? Absolutely. And I would, to as soon as this program was over in three and a half minutes, I would drive to the property. I would take possession of the property and I would secure the property. And by securing the property, if I had to, I would change the locks or have them rekeyed 
for the protection of the property. And then I would take photographs of the interior so that I have a paper trail. I would um, take notes, um, contemporaneous notes of what I found at the property, whether it appeared that it had been abandoned. Uh, this guy says they left with rent and damages owed. So I'm guessing I have, okay. Gary says he has possession, but wants to get back rent, uh, get paid for the back rent and the damages. Gary, I, you say you have possession, but I have had attorneys tell me that if there is a lease still extant, even if they appear to have abandoned the property, if you seize the property without a writ of possession, they theoretically could come back and say, hey, we just went on vacation and now we're suing you for throwing out our beautiful garbage that we left here. So, okay, lease expired and he did not renew. So Gary but has John, an expired lease. Go ahead. John, I would, I would add one more thing to that because I exactly agree with you, except to be a little bit more thorough and to be consistent with what those attorneys are talking about. The most, even though the lease is expired, we Gary hasn't gone into detail about what's left, but a couple of quick things I would say is, did he turn in the key and do we have that in writing that the key has been turned over because would you agree that's possession? For my purposes, no. I would go ahead in the county where, and, and again, I would encourage Gary to contact a, a real estate attorney on this, but I would, this is what I would do. And this is probably the wrong answer, but I've been right more often than I've been wrong. I would go ahead and file the dispossessory. I agree. In the county where the property is located. That's just to get it into that court. The beauty of that is, and then I would pay a process server to get personal service in the county where the person is located. The beauty of that is that if the tenant does not answer the summons, or if they don't show up and there's about a 50-50 shot, I'd say maybe 70-30, that they will not because they're going to think, hell, this is back into Cab County. I live in Cobb County now. I'm not interested. Um, then the judge will be offended and the judge will award me possession and a dollar amount uh, judgment which all I have to do then is record. And it does, you know, get, uh, the, uh, the tenant can try to come back later and say, wait a minute, four years ago, you, the way you, the procedure you used was wrong. I'm going to say, I don't know anything about four years ago. I know this is a judgment. It was signed by a judge and it's recorded and it's on your record. And if you want to buy a house, you're going to have to go through me. I think also, John, it's a very wise way of doing it what you just described because I did have a situation like that and the sheriff got upset because they came to an empty house, but I didn't care. I could be saying the wrong term, but I wanted to go through the procedure of operation of law because what I was really trying to do was get the furniture out, but I wasn't about to let the furniture leave the house because they could have said they had cash inside the furniture 
and they wanted their cash or whatever. Absolutely. And, and that is always getting a writ of possession is always the safest way, but typically I don't waste my time with it. And, and we have gone through that procedure in the Mm -hmm. landlord survival guide. um, And we now have included in the killer lease, what has been adopted in, in, California and Florida, which is, and this is both case law and statute in the case of California. Um, And Georgia, uh, landlord-tenant law is silent on this issue, okay? What constitutes um, turnover of possession? Well, as you point out, if they tell you, if they give you in writing, we are leaving on this date, and here's the key, then, then, then you have possession. But if they just disappear, you can't know. Well, I've come to the conclusion that I can't wait potentially six to eight weeks to get possession of the property with the sheriff there. And so what I do is we have included in the killer lease provisions that say, if any two of the following five circumstances can be documented, then all parties agree that this is a presumption that it is agreed by everyone that the property has been abandoned. And once we declare the property abandoned, then I have an obligation to secure that property and I'm going to do so. Thank you, John. I think Gary can benefit from that because I'd like to ask you a follow-up question. I love that. I mean, that makes so much sense that the killer lease has something, a mechanism, and has something that a lawyer and the judge can look at, and and you're, we're going forward. It's not silent on it, and nobody has to assume. But the question I have is, because I've been in Gary's shoes, and I'd like to ask you, what I did in my situation as I was waiting for the courts to do everything, I put all the furniture that was abandoned in the garage. I put whatever stretch wrap around or something, I cordoned it off. And then I continued to show the property. My goal was by the time the sheriff showed up and I got real possession, I already had a new tenant. And that's what, I, oh, you like my idea. Thank you. I do like your idea. And, and I think people do need to be aware that if you take possession of an apparently abandoned house without a writ of possession under the supervision of the sheriff or marshal, as the case may be in your county. And there is something of potential value in there. You better be daggone careful because these people can come back later. And as Ian points out, say, Hey, we never left, but what, what you, what did you do with our um, heirloom, antique furniture that was worth millions of dollars. Yep. Okay. And, and they're going to come after me because I'm the biggest target in the room. And, and so, you know, Ian is exactly right. Ian, I agree with you hundred percent. There has to be a, a paper trail of what you did with that furniture. But um, again, in the killer lease, we say what the procedure is. And the landlord must, according to the killer lease, and this is from, floor, um, from California statute, the landlord is required 
to make reasonable efforts to locate the missing tenant. And I would document those. And what I would do is I would call everybody on their application. What I would do is interview the neighbors. What I would do is maybe even run an ad in a, a notice ad in the legal newspaper. Excellent. Um, de depending on what the, I mean, if it was really valuable stuff, you could then say, Hey, we put you on notice. You, we gave you uh, a reasonable time period to contact us. I talked with your mother. She said she had no way of reaching you, which I find hard to believe. And I think a judge would find hard to believe. So anyway, just some thoughts here, Ian, we've got to wrap it up. Um, you and I have a topic already for next week. Um, Harry, um, has a question. Harry, thanks for waiting and welcome to the program. Harry says, what is the email or web address again to review today's seminar? The answer is, Harry, I have your email address and I'm going to send you an email this afternoon. Um, you will always be able to get the replays by going to realestatecoffeebreak.com and clicking a button that says replays always. But in addition to that, I'm going to encourage Harry, you and Gary and all the hundreds of other folks that were kind enough to visit with us today to subscribe on your favorite podcast uh, directory. And I hope we'll be there very soon. We are on Apple podcast, formerly iTunes podcast. We're on right now. I think we're on Stitcher but I'm not sure we will be if we're not. And I'm, we are working diligently to get on Google podcasts. Everybody has their own procedure. And, and this is, I admit to being a, a fuddy duddy old guy. Ian is cutting edge. Everybody. He knows all this tech stuff, but not no, I, me. But well, anyway, Ian, ask Seth, if you would, if, if he knows about how to get these, get on various podcast directories. And if so, if he would be willing to help us, because Margie's, Margie's a genius, but even she has been struggling with this. Okay. I will do that, John. And I think everybody should come back next week because we'll figure out all together how to get that $25 billion. That's so that exactly. Look, I want... I, I don't mean to discourage everybody who's listening right now and it's after one o'clock, but Ian and I plan to split the 25 b -b -b billion dollars between us. And then we'll ration it out to our listeners and viewers. Um, Gary says all was done by the book. Just want to get paid, but have seen that you should file where the defendant now lives. If Gary, if what you're seeking is a small claims court damages award, the answer is yes. It would have been easier in landlord court um, uh, in, in a dispossessory proceeding. But if you have abandoned that, uh, then yes, you would have to file in the county where the person lives. And they moved out. They, they signed a move out form and voluntarily turned over the keys. Ian, you were right. I was wrong from the beginning. And as usual, this is why you keep me around just to make you look good. 
folks, we have got to get moving here. Um, I appreciate it more than you know. And um, that's uh, that's the 3 Mark IV, the real estate coffee break with Ian Robbins and John Adams. And this is John Adams reminding you, your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Make it a good one. So long, everybody. Thank you.